Portraits, uh, be they uh, photographs or paintings, can be a great way to record developments in your own family. Uh, I was in a house this week and uh, uh, their loo is literally just decorated with all stages of family life. And it was fantastic. You could very quickly uh, understand what has gone on in that family and how it's grown and how people have uh, gone and gone on and got degrees and all kinds of things. Uh, we've got a number in our own front room. And uh, they not only remind us uh, of the family, but they tell us uh, what was going on at that time. They tell us about pregnancies that were going on, pointing to new additions that were due in the family. Uh, uniforms that say someone's uh, just started going to school and they're proud of going to school. Uh, new faces that suggest new relationships. And for the more vain of us, uh, though those telling signs of getting older, the wrinkles, the grey hairs, and of course the receding hairline. Portraits, though, are a very helpful snapshot of family life. And we find ourselves looking at uh, another one this evening in these final verses of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Here we find a portrait of God's family, painted in words by the Apostle Paul. And it's a picture not just of the church in Colossae, or the church in Rome, from where Paul is writing, but it's a picture of the church throughout the world. It can be tempting, again, to uh, look at those uh, rather unhelpful subtitles and uh, see first further instructions and then final greetings and decide to skip over them, uh, thinking that they're afterthoughts. Can I just give you two uh, pointers as to why we should think again? First off, of course, is that, uh, as Timothy reminds us, 2 Timothy 3.16, that uh, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's given for our teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness in order that we may be equipped thoroughly for every good work. Knowing that makes us look more keenly at these words. And second, uh, particularly these final greetings, they take up a huge amount of space in such a short letter. If you were to compare it to the other letters, only Romans has got a longer uh, end to it like this. And yet Romans is four times as long as Colossians. There is a reason. Their importance is uh, that through these words, the church or the family of God in any age, be it the Colossians then or us here today, we can see how we are to be the family of God, living out the gospel of God's grace, 1 verse 6, in all its fullness. Tonight we're going to look very briefly at three aspects of family life that we can see clearly in these final verses, which sum up much of what Paul's been saying to us over these past few Sunday evenings in the letter. And they show us what wholehearted Christian living looks like. And it's all a picture of God's family. First off, it's uh, God's family living out their unity in Christ. Their family unity, our family unity for one another, has been evident and should be evident all the time. In uh, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul calls the Colossian Christians holy and faithful brothers. Even though he's never met them before in his life, they are his brothers. And he calls them such even though he is a Jew and they are almost entirely Gentiles. That is very countercultural. Uh, we saw that love again uh, back in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, 
where Paul commends the Colossians for their love for all the saints. Not just for some of them, not just a qualification, a small, no small print here. There are no cliques, no favourites. It is a family united in love for one another. Indeed, Paul's purpose in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, is to see that unity lived out. And we've seen Paul throughout the chapters saying that this unity comes only through Christ and through what he has achieved upon the cross. Just as we were singing just now, you led me to the cross that I may become part of your family. Most recently, uh, back in uh, chapter 3, verse 11, uh, we saw that again. Here in this family there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That is the unity that there is. And that is the unity we see here in these final verses. We saw last week, didn't we, that uh, our relationships, one with another, are to both be regulated and restored by our relationship with Christ. So that wives will willingly submit to their husbands. Husbands love their wives and care for them in a way that honours Christ. Slaves to submit to their masters and so on and so on. It is a picture of countercultural unity. And that is carried on into these final verses. Uh, just look down at uh, verse 7 for a moment. Paul speaks of uh, Tychicus or Tychicus. He's a Gentile and yet he calls him a dear brother. A little further down in verses 10 and 11, Paul highlights uh, Aristarchus, Mark and Jesus, who's also called Justice. Three fellow workers, three Jews with him in Rome. And all of them are sending greetings to those Gentile believers in Colossae. And there are surprises too in this list of people who are sending greetings. The first surprise, you may not have noticed it, is in verse 9, with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. Uh, on the face of it, uh, it's not that surprising. Until we actually turn over and look at the letter that Paul sends to Philemon, a member of the Colossian church, I'll take you there in a moment. It was a letter that he was going to send along with this letter that he's writing here now to the Colossian church. And he was going to send it at the hand of this chap Onesimus. And when you get to uh, Philemon, page 1200, you may just want to uh, flip over to that. <coughs> 1200. We learn very quickly that Philemon is a runaway slave. Sorry, uh, Onesimus is a runaway slave who has run away from his master Philemon. He's found his way to Rome, where he's heard the gospel, repented and believed, and joined Paul in gospel proclamation there. And now Paul is sending him back to his master, back to Philemon. And this is how he expects Philemon to welcome him. Verse 16. He says, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man 
and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. That is a surprising unity. But that is the reality, and that was the reality Paul was calling on the church, and we saw that only last week, about slave obeying your earthly masters, masters being right and fair. This is a working out of that. There's another surprise, and that's uh, finding Mark in that list in verse 10. Uh, Mark, who's the cousin of Barnabas, is mentioned here, and Paul calls on the Colossians to welcome him, saying that he was one of those who proved a great comfort comfort to Paul. That is a surprise when you realise that this is the very same John Mark who had deserted Paul back in Acts 13, verse 13, and who Paul refuses to have with him on his missionary journey in Acts 15, verse 37. And yet, given Paul's teaching on unity that we heard before, back in chapter 3, verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Paul knows the gospel in all its truth. And he has forgiven John Mark. It's a great example, isn't it, to all of us, to forgive one another whatever grievances we may have. Do not let us bring disunity where Christ has brought unity. And then, there, of course, there were others uh, that sent greetings. There was Epaphras, uh, verse 12, who, of course, is the chap who took the gospel to Colossae. There was Luke, a doctor, the one who wrote Luke and Acts. Then there was Demas, and we'll speak about him a little later on, and Nympha, a woman whose home uh, had a church that met in it. It's a very stirring picture, isn't it, of a family. It's a very stirring picture of a family that is united, and a unity that's expressed and expected within God's family, even though they are hugely different. Uh, one of the great joys for me when I became a Christian in the early years of being in the Royal Navy was the family that I quickly became a part of. Brothers and sisters of all ages and ranks, from admirals right the way down to able seamen, all looking out for one another, loving one another, caring for one another, writing sometimes to encourage one another, even though we'd never met one another. Respectful of rank, but knowing our relationships were far deeper than that. I remember particularly a senior officer coming on board our ship for an inspection and he gently took me aside without uh, drawing attention to it and he quietly encouraged me to keep living for Christ. He didn't have done it. In fact, it was very countercultural in the Navy to do that, but it was the right way and I was hugely encouraged by it. I've seen it here at Christ Church Forward the love that you have for one another. The love in which you uh, welcomed Ali and me when we first arrived. How you have supported and helped one another in the ups and downs of life. I saw it only a week ago as I went to visit someone who had just been bereaved. And the first thing that they said to me was, uh, David, I am so blessed. So blessed. 
because she had been given care upon care, love upon love. All kinds of people within the church family found her, visited her, and supported and cared for her, and countless others been praying for her. I see it too in the uh, prayerfulness that we have for our missionaries, how we come in on our church family prayer meeting, longing like Paul to hear news of how our missionaries are doing, longing like Paul to encourage them and to be encouraged by them. I've seen it too in how folk have taken an interest in the church plant, coming and praying and encouraging Ali and me as we have looked forward to and what is going to be a very exciting opportunity. Challenging perhaps, but a great opportunity for the gospel. And we are thankful for you as church family drawing alongside us in that. We are family. Look around you. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. Look down from the balcony. Look up to the balcony. Look over here to what I call the conservatory. You are family. And not only are we family, but we are a worldwide family with brothers and sisters in Japan, in Libya, and all over the world. All over Sheffield, Kendry and Kilnerhurst. We are family, and we are doing lots for one another. Of course, we could do more. Our unity in Christ could be greater. But when we start to realize we are family, that will motivate us to set aside our differences, to set aside past mistakes to love for one another, to care for one another, as real families do, living out our unity in Christ. But being God's family, it's far more than just sharing a common identity in Christ. It's also about sharing a common purpose. And that's the second theme I want to draw out from tonight. God's family partnering through adversity. As brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, Paul's letter and his closing comments reveal what we are to be doing side by side with one another. We are to be partnering one another in the gospel. Uh, you can see that very clearly in verses uh, 2 to 6 of chapter 4. It says further instructions, but it is all about partnership in the gospel. First, Paul requests prayer for himself as he proclaims the mystery of Christ, the gospel. And then second, he encourages the Colossians to be going out and making the most of every opportunity, making it clear to everyone that they are gospel partners with one another. Paul was partners with the Colossians, the Colossians were partners with him. Whether it was through physical partnership, side by side, or at a distance, prayerful partnership. You can see that uh, partnership clearly in the final verses as well. Through what Paul says about his brothers and sisters in Christ and what they are doing side by side. So Tychicus, in verse 7, he is not only a dear brother, he's also a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Even though he, Paul, is in chains, he values his partnership with him through adversity. And he's willing to continue to face adversity so that the Colossians can be encouraged. That may not be obvious straight away until you look at verse 8. He sends Tychicus to the Colossians to encourage them, to help them to face up to 
and to overcome the pressure of false teachers. He's sending one of the people who is a huge encouragement to him to encourage others, even though he himself is in chains for the gospel and, of course, needing encouragement. He sees his Colossian brothers and he wants to send Tychicus to them. Partnership through and in adversity and in spite of adversity. Again, verses 10 and 11, we see Paul has a fellow brother, Aristarchus, who is with him in jail. And he is a fellow worker alongside Mark and Jesus' justice. And then again, verse 12, Epaphras. He also is a servant of Christ Jesus. He's the one who took the gospel to the Colossians. And he is still struggling with for them, even though he is miles away in Rome. Verse 12 and 13. He sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. It's a picture, isn't it, of gospel partnership, the gospel going out. Just as Paul said it was way back in chapter 1, verse 6, the gospel is bearing fruit as brother and sister stand side by side or partner one another at distance and at great cost and in adversity. Helping one another in Christ to face that adversity and doing so with great sacrifice. You you just have to uh, turn back one page, if you would, with me, to uh, chapter 1, verse 24. In 1, verse 24, Paul says he rejoices in what was suffered for them. And then as you look down to chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to struggle for those you know? But are we struggling for those we do not know? For those that are in our mission partners' prayer list, week on week, are we reading and praying for them? Are we writing letters to them? I think, too, of how folk here struggle to help and support the gospel ministry of other churches locally. Think about the, the partnership we have with Kilnhurst and with Kendry. I rejoice too in those that have answered the call to go overseas or to other parts of the UK, partnering with us in the gospel. They may be out of sight, but are they out of mind? Great way to partner folk is to be praying for them. And of course, I, I, I'm so, so grateful for those who give their time to lead on Christianity Explored, to cater for Christianity Explored, and to come and pray on a Tuesday morning for Christianity Explored. Each of those people giving up their, their time for, with their families, time for hobbies, even changing work patterns in order to lead or to cater or to pray for that important course. And again, I've mentioned it already, the encouragement it's been to me to to have that partnership in prayer for the church plant. People coming to pray with me, whether they're staying at Christ Church Forward and just praying with us, or going and planting with us. Either way, that is partnership in action, just as Paul was saying earlier. So God's family, living out our unity, partnering through adversity, and now finally, and more briefly, 
God's family growing in maturity. The heartbeat of Colossians has been one of grow in Christ. You have come to faith in Christ, now grow in him. Let me remind you of uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul has been so concerned for the Colossians that they aren't kidnapped or knocked off course by false teachers who suggest that they and we just need a little bit more than Christ. We need some experience or some sort of legalistic framework for real spiritual reality. And of course, the only way that we're going to be able to see them for the deceptions that they are, if we're going to be able to stand firm, is if we grow up in Christ, if we are those who are maturing in Christ, understanding the gospel of grace in all its truth. We've all seen babies. When they are born, they can't talk, they can't walk, they can't do much at all. They need your help to grow up. Likewise, so do Christians. Baby Christians need to not only come to hear the truth about Christ and come to faith in him, but grow up in him. And that's been Paul's prayer right from the beginning of his letter. Uh, You can look at these uh, verses later on, but his prayer in 1 verse 9, which Ben Uh, prayed earlier. His goal in verses uh, 28 and 29 of chapter 1. His concern in chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Those words I've just read to you from 6 and 7 of chapter 2. He is concerned that they are growing in Christ, or as uh, chapter 3, verse 10 says it, being renewed in the knowledge, being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And then, of course, there's chapter 3, verse 16. And the responsibilities that we have to one another to grow in Christ. And we see it again in the way that Paul ends this letter. His desire to encourage the Colossians. He encourages them to keep on going. But we also see it in the way that Epaphras prays for them. I wonder if you noticed that in, chapter 12, in verse 12 of chapter 4. Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you. Why? So that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. That's so important. So that they weren't going to be in danger of being detached from Christ. That's what Paul warns about. In chapter 2, verse 19, he says... Don't lose connection with the head. He talks about those who have delighted in false humility and so on. He says those people have lost connection with the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as Christ causes it to grow. We all need to grow in maturity. Otherwise, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, we're going to be like infants tossed back and forth in the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men. It's dangerous not to grow. Just how dangerous it can be is when we look at 
who Paul mentions in chapter 4, verse 14. Yes, Luke, but also Demas. Demas is going strong here when Paul writes to the Colossians. Uh, Don't turn to it now, but if you were to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, you'd see that Demas has deserted Paul. Why? Because he loved the world. He was distracted, taken away from Christ. He didn't heed the warnings in this letter. He didn't put up with sound doctrine. He listened only to what his ears wanted to hear and he turned from the truth and turned to myths. He turned to worldly philosophies. That's what Paul is warning about here. That is why you and I, just like the Colossians, need to keep on growing. Demas is a warning to us. Not to be conceited or self-confident. I remember vividly uh, when Ali and I went to a school, uh, a girls' school, where Ali was going to give a talk to the uh, girls' CU. And a member of staff who met us uh, mocked us by saying that uh, when she heard that Ali was doing a talk from the Bible, she said, oh, we've moved on. As we talked over lunch, it became very obvious that actually far from moving on in Christ, she had moved on and away from Christ. She never spoke about Jesus at all. And that began by not wanting to grow up in him. So Paul encourages the Colossians, and I want to encourage you here tonight, to keep on growing. That's why we place such a high priority here in, about small groups and being members of midweek Bible studies, on meeting one-to-one with another Christian. I, I rejoice when I walk into uh, Cream in Broom Hill. For those of you that don't know, it's a, it's a coffee shop. And I rejoice as I see members of the congregation sitting down in ones and twos, reading the Bible together and praying. It warms my heart. It's a huge joy as I look around the building tonight to see people who, when we first arrived here two years ago, or just under two years ago, to see how people have grown in Christ. I'll tell you, it's an even greater joy as I look around the room to see people who have come to Christ since I arrived and how they have grown in Christ. If we value one another as family, we will help one another to grow up in Christ Please, if you're not in a small group, please do see Andrew. Please do come and have a chat to me afterwards. Love to point you in that direction. Well, I must close. In these uh, final verses here, we have a great family portrait of God's family, of what his family, of what you and I should look like as we live wholeheartedly for Christ, as we live out our unity, as we partner one another in adversity, and as we grow and help one another to grow in maturity in Christ. As I've said these things, I'm very much aware that there may be folk here tonight who are saying to themselves, I'm not a member of God's family. I don't think I'm in God's family. If you feel tonight that you're an outsider and you want to be part of it, I'm just going to remind you of some words that Paul wrote in a moment or two. And it tells us that it's actually not about what you do, but about who Jesus is and what he has done for you. It's all about his gift. It's all about grace. 
Paul begins the letter with grace and he ends with grace. All we have to do is to receive that grace. It's a free gift from him of relationship with him, of relationship with God as our Father and with one another as brothers and sisters. Let me conclude by just uh, reading these verses uh, from uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. As I read, do reflect on them. And then, uh, as I finish reading, the music group will strike up with our next song. Let's use that song as an opportunity to declare our response to him that indeed we want to be those who allow him to occupy our heart. So let me just close with these words. For in God, sorry, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's stay.